Hey everyone, I am Farah Kimji and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Futura Talk. Today, I'm very excited to be sitting down in conversation with Erin Burry. Named one of Bay Street Bulls Women of the Year, Erin Burry is one of Canada's top female entrepreneurs, an active startup advisor, and a former marketer and technology journalist. Erin is the co-founder and CEO at online estate planning platform, Willful, where she drives the company's mission to make it easier for Canadians to prepare for and deal with death in a digital age. Willful has been named one of Bay Street Bull's Power 50 companies, and Aaron secured a deal for the company on TV's Dragon's Den in December 2021. Aaron advises multiple startups, including podcasting platform Quill, and she is also a member for the Save the Children Canada and the co-chair of the Tech for Sick Kids initiative for Sick Kids Hospital. I've been following Erin's journey for quite some time now and watching her level up as a leader and seeing the growth of her company, Willful, has been so inspiring for me. So I'm very excited and honored to have her join us today on the podcast. Erin, welcome. Thank you so much, Farah. Excited to be here. Yeah. So as as our listeners know, I always like to take things back and kind of learn about you before we jump into Willful and kind of learn about Erin as a child. And so tell me a little bit about your upbringing, what you were like as a kid, and did you always have entrepreneurial dreams? Yeah, well, I I did not. I grew up in a house where, you know, my parents worked for Fortune 500 companies. So my parents split up when I was two, but are very amicable. And so, and my mom has been remarried to my stepdad for a long time. So my mom and my stepdad both worked at Nortel. Uh, so big tech company. And my dad was a newspaper journalist at a community newspaper for, you know, 30 plus years. So I didn't, have entrepreneurship in my life. I I didn't really even know what the term meant. And, you know, I was born in 1985. I grew up in the nineties and, and you didn't really have the same role models around entrepreneurship that you do today. Mm-hmm. So my aspiration was very much to follow in my mom's footsteps. She took journalism at Carleton university and then went into marketing. And so I had my sights set on that. And my ultimate dream was to have a corner office at a fortune 500 company and Uh, entrepreneurship was definitely not part of that. Uh, As a kid, I was always very uh, happy. I had a great childhood, um, thanks to my parents. And I grew up in a town where there was tons of tons of kids had lots of friends. I was a big reader. uh, So I read Sweet Valley Twins and basically anything I could get my hands on. And I still am a, a voracious reader. Uh, and yeah, I was, uh, I, I guess just like a happy kid, which is, uh, pretty nice to reflect on. Awesome. Uh, that's a, that's a nice little throwback there with the sweet Valley twins. <laughs> I also read those and babysitter club and all of that course. good stuff, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so, so tell me then, you know, you, you thought you were going to grow up and be a journalist. So what, what did you sort of do t- talk to us about your journey sort of from high school all the way to before you started willful, what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, I was a really great student in high school and was lucky enough to get into the Carleton Journalism Program. Uh, Both of my parents were journalism graduates. My dad pursued journalism as a a community newspaper reporter. Uh, My mom, as I mentioned, went on to be a marketing executive at Nortel. So my goal was to to more so follow my mom's footsteps, use journalism as a jumping off point to to get into marketing. So I went to Carleton, uh, had a great time. 
I had, I was that kid who had nineties all through high school university. I had good marks, but, um, I, I definitely had a lot of fun as well, which I tell kids these days, like enjoy yourself in university, right? Make sure that you're not so, you know, laser focused on extracurriculars and your, um, your classes because it, you should have fun. Uh, and when I graduated, I got a job at a PR agency. So my first job was working at a mid-sized but 100-person PR agency in downtown Toronto, working on their technology team. So I was responsible for, you know, packaging up Palm Pilots and sending them out to journalists to try out. And, uh, you know, most people listening may not even know what a Palm Pilot yeah. is. but <laughs> Like before the BlackBerry. Yeah. Exactly. Pre-BlackBerry. But, uh, but yeah, it was kind of, I had a plan for my whole life. You know, I'm going to go to journalism school. I'm going to get into marketing. And then when I got my first job and I was actually doing that working in PR, I was like, okay, now, now what's the next 10 years? Yeah. So you're there, you know, you're sitting there, you're working this journalism job and, you know, what started sparking this, you know, I guess idea for maybe following a path of entrepreneurship or what was really happening in your, your life at that time before you decided to start Willful. And we'll get into what inspired the idea for Willful, but what was, what was happening in your life at that time? Yeah. So I was, as I mentioned about a year in, so this was around 2008 uh, working at that PR agency, I had recently uh, reconnected with a boyfriend I dated very briefly in high school, um, and that boyfriend is now my husband. So oh. we started dating again in 2008. Uh, you know, living in a small condo downtown Toronto and uh, trying to make ends meet. And I was recruited by a family friend to go work at her startup. And I, again, was not, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. I had never considered going to work at a startup, um, but she just had this really compelling vision and, and she hired me as the second employee there. And that really put me down this path of entrepreneurship. And I'm so grateful that I was introduced to it because I think in a parallel life, I'm probably sitting at that marketing agency or somewhere at a big yeah. company. Uh, and that was always my dream, but I really kind of went on this divergent path. Once I started working for, for this startup, I just fell in love with the small environment, the opportunity to get exposure to things that you normally wouldn't have, the attitude of why don't we try this instead of, well, we've never done that before. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I just fell in love. I worked there for a few years and then, um, our startup was acquired by Postmedia, the media company. And while at Postmedia, I, I was on the founding team at Betakit, the startup publication. Mm -hmm. So I used my journalism skills as the editor there for a few years uh, and then kind of went on to run a, a tech marketing agency for about six years, not as the founder, but as one of the early hires and uh, a part owner. So, uh, and we worked mostly with entrepreneurs and startup companies. So for the next, you know, the first 10 years of getting into startups, it wasn't really me being the entrepreneur. It was me working for entrepreneurs or sure. writing about entrepreneurs or uh, working with entrepreneurs, but it absolutely just made me fall, fall in love with startups and entrepreneurship. Yeah. And getting that sort of exposure to it kind of early in your career gives you that bug, right? Gives, gives you the entrepreneur entrepreneurial bug that you're like, okay, this is exciting. And I, I remember when I first got a taste of it myself and kind of how different it was from, you know, the corporate world, that very structured, you know, big company environment. Um, it can, it's not for everyone, but certainly ex exciting and certainly was for you. So you're there, you know, you're working, you're supporting, um, you know, the, the founders of that company are working as a principal in the company and you have some ownership, but you know, what really was then at that point, you're working away, you're in sort of more of a media role, um, media type company. And now, you know, you're here running a company that does online wills, you know, that's a very big leap to make. So tell us what inspired the idea for starting Willful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was really, um, Kevin's idea, my husband, Kevin. So we run the company together and he is one of those born entrepreneurs. You know, he was someone who would just come home from work. He worked in trades at a cement plant and he would come home and always have a business idea. And he actually called me the dream killer because I would always 
say, you know, because I worked in startups and I wrote about entrepreneurs so much, I'd be like, oh, someone's already done that. Or, oh, that's too much work. Or, uh, and it was when his uncle passed away unexpectedly in 2015 and Kevin saw how difficult it was to close up someone's life when they hadn't planned out funeral burial wishes or talked about those things with family members that he kind of came to me with the, the idea of, you know, I, I, I think there's something here. Why don't more people talk about this? Um, and about a year later, he was hospitalized for a week with septic arthritis in his ankle and he thought to himself, you know, laying in his hospital bed, if I were to pass away, I'd be doing the same thing to Aaron that my uncle did to our family in that I don't have any plans. I don't have a will. We haven't talked about burial versus cremation, what kind of service he would want, all of those types of things. So that was a kick in the butt to get our own estate plans in order. Uh, but also this idea of, you know, when we looked into it, the only option was really to go to a lawyer and shell out a bunch of money and make appointments in the middle of the day. And uh, we didn't want to do that. We were, you know, yeah. used to using tools like Uber and Airbnb and doing everything online. So that was, that was really the genesis of the idea was we wanted to build something that we would want to use as consumers and that appealed to uh, the generation that was turning to digital tools first and didn't want to spend uh, you know, four figures on getting what is a very simple document in many cases completed. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that because often the best businesses are born out of the problems we face ourselves. Right. And, and then looking at and saying, well, maybe I can marry some of the methodologies being used in other uh, industries to this now traditional old school way of doing things. And that's exactly what you guys did. So it's very exciting. And, and obviously in an area that for most people isn't the most exciting thing. However, something we're all going to experience at some point in life or definitely be exposed to with some of our loved ones. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, your product, the services that you offer and uh, the clients you serve. I mean, Technically, you can probably serve anyone, but you know where's sort of the sweet spot of the the target market that you guys do um, cater to. Yeah, so I mean, we launched Willful in uh, October of 2017, so just over five years ago. Uh, Kev launched it on his own. I joined as CEO about 18 months in after I left uh, the agency I mentioned, and really the goal from day one was to be kind of like a TurboTax for estate planning. So, you know, when you're filing taxes, you can't do it yourself. It's so complex. It's overwhelming. And if you have a simple situation, TurboTax can be a really great affordable option. Maybe in the future, you need to upgrade to an accountant. Uh, and that's really the way we've looked at it with Willful. There are millions of Canadians who have very simple life situations. You know, they're married or single. They have kids or pets or they don't. They have assets that are, you know, RSPs and uh, houses and bank accounts, but nothing too complex. And those are the folks for which Willful is a really great fit. So, um, you know, if you have seven businesses and offshore accounts and uh, you want to disinherit five of your family members, maybe visit a professional, but... Um, but Willful caters to the majority of Canadians who have a pretty simple situation. Uh, the platform guides users through a series of questions about their life situation uh, and then helps to appoint key roles in the will, like beneficiaries, executors, and guardians for children or pets. And then we pull all of the answers into a customized uh, document. We work with estate lawyers in each province to build those template legal documents. And then it's just a matter of executing the will by printing and signing, which is required by law. The only part that isn't tech, uh, tech enabled as part of the process. And our prices start at $99. So typically it's going to cost you, you know, $800 and up to get wills, power of attorney documents, et cetera. So we're just trying to, to make it more convenient, affordable, and accessible to the average Canadian. Wow. I, I actually love this because, you know, I'm going to admit here, I have not done my will, but if you are to tell me that I can just go online, figure out most of it myself, fill out the questionnaire and have a will done for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Like, of course I'm going to do that. I mean, I'm probably going to do it after this call. <laughs> it's really exciting. So, and what, what do you see as sort of, you know, like, how do you really before willful, what, what, what was the way that this looked before you mentioned, you know, 
eight, eight, eight or nine hundred dollars, you know, lawyers appointments during the day. But is there anything else out there that's similar to the way you guys are doing it? And what would you say is really different about the way you guys are doing it? Yeah. So, I mean, the process of creating a will hasn't really changed much in the last hundred years, right? Visit mm-hmm. a professional. They walk you through verbally a series of questions. They take your answers and customize their own personal template that they have. And then, you know, you sign it and, uh, and Bob's your uncle. So that's really the process um, that existed. We've really just brought that process online. Yeah. So I think what's different about our process is, you know, it's on demand, right? So we have a lot of folks who say, I'm traveling tomorrow and I, it's my first time traveling without my kids and I really need to get a will in place, but it's Sunday. Well, <laughs> the first thing that's different is you can do it when you want instead of when you can get an appointment with someone. Uh, the second main difference is price. So as I mentioned, you're typically paying, it depends on where you live. So if you live in a very small town, it might only be three, $400, uh, but you're paying a price for the will, for the additional documents like power of attorney, and you're paying an hourly rate anytime you need to make updates to those documents. Mm. And that's typically four or five times over your lifetime. So with Willful, you pay one price and you get free updates in future, oh. which is a big selling feature. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the, the other thing that I think sets us apart is that we're really shifting into this comprehensive estate planning platform. So you can create your will, you can create your power of attorney documents, you can notify key people that you've named in the will, you can create an asset list of your assets and liabilities to help out your executor, uh, and you can uh, record your funeral burial wishes. So that's really the end goal with Willful is to build this one-stop shop for anything related to end-of-life planning uh, so that you only have to use one tool instead of going to a variety of professionals. Yeah. And I, I like that because it's everything that's related all on one platform, right? Which is really accessible. It sounds very transparent as well. Obviously, whoever needs to have access to it can have access to it. Because I think at, at a time when you're actually dealing with someone's passing, it's quite stressful, right? And it's very sad. And it's, that's the last thing from your mind is, is some of these kinds of logistics, right? And paperwork and all of that. So to just have what I'm assuming is one login to get all of that information on, on one platform, you know, certainly makes, takes the stress out of that part of, of, of something that can be a really hard time in people's lives, obviously. For sure. And I think, you know, the way Kevin and his family felt was they didn't want to be arguing over the logistical things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They really wanted to just focus on on grieving and celebrating this person's life versus what suit did he want to be buried in? Yeah. And did he even want to be buried at all? Did Would he rather be cremated? You just don't want to feel like you're sure. doing a disservice to that person, right? So that's the goal with Willful ultimately is you being in the driver's seat of um, your decisions, but also empowering your family so that they don't have to sit around and argue or guess or wonder if they did the right thing for you. Yeah. I think this is just so, so genius. And I think something that a lot more people, you know, need a bit of awareness towards. And so interestingly enough, it's actually, um, when this episode drops, it's, it's, uh, in Ontario, it is, make a will month in November. So, um, you know, really timely that we're sitting down here together. Uh, what would you like to kind of bring awareness to, you know, our listeners around the importance of really of obtaining in the first place and then maintaining a will? And I think I often hear a lot of misconceptions. Like I only need a will if I'm old or if I'm really wealthy and, Uh, or I don't need a will because everything would just go to my family anyway. So I I just want to clarify that if you pass away without a will, there's a government formula in each province that dictates how your assets would pass. And it usually wouldn't be what you would want. So for example, uh, I have a husband and a one-year-old daughter. If I were to pass away without a will, half of my assets would go to my husband, but half of them would be tied up in a trust for my one-year-old daughter until she turned 18, which is not what I would want. I would want everything to go to my husband. And then in the event that both of us pass away, everything go to our daughter. Mm. So, you know, definitely double check that formula to make sure it's what you actually want. And then a will isn't just about who gets your assets. A will appoints an executor, and that's someone who's going to wrap up your, your life after you pass away. 
and it appoints guardians for minor children or pets. So, you know, even if you only have a thousand dollars in a bank account, uh, a will is a really important thing to have. And like life insurance, it's not for you. You know, you're never going to benefit from yeah. a will. It's fully for your family. So uh, those are some of the kind of misconceptions or myths that I try to, to address. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point because a lot of people say, well, I don't have much, so it doesn't really matter, but there's all these other decisions that are not necessarily monetary in nature that also happen when you pass. Right. So this governs all of that, um, very important distinction to make. So this, this, you guys have launched, you've been in the market for a couple of years now, you know, gaining some traction, you know, share with us some of the, some of the big wins that you guys have had. I mean, the, you mentioned a couple of them in, in the intro. I yeah. think one of our big wins was Dragon's Den. It was mm-hmm. really cool. I mean, I'm such a fan of the show. So it was Same kind of here. a dream come true to, to pitch on the show and to get a deal from Michelle Romano, who's now one of our investors. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big highlight for us. But it's funny. I mean, Kev doesn't come from a business background, right? He worked in trades. He's not a technical co-founder. We are not estate lawyers. So when we had the idea for Willful, it kind of seemed like, how would we ever get from A to B? So honestly, we were just sitting at uh, at my mom's house this weekend. It was just our five-year anniversary. And my mom was one of our friends and family investors along with Kev's mom and some of our friends. Um, and we said to her, you know, did you ever think that it would grow from nothing to this? And she said, absolutely not. Like I believed in you guys, but it's really just incredible to see, you know, we're in eight provinces now, fully bilingual platform in Quebec. Uh, we have partnerships with CIBC and Allstate and some of these really amazing brands. Uh, we've had tens of thousands of customers. And on the kind of purpose side of things, we've had over 10,000 gifts left to charities in wills. We've partnered with amazing organizations like the MS Society and Osteoporosis Canada to bring attention to legacy giving. So I'm just really proud of the fact that we've uh, raised the awareness around estate planning. I mean, our mission is to ensure every Canadian adult has a will, whether through us or other methods, Mm -hmm. you know, and our main focus is education. And then we hope for most people, the natural choice to get their will done is willful. I love it. I mean, I think when you were just launching this a couple years ago to just see that you've had that much traction in such a short period of time and you know, you're just beginning, right? Like what's, what's exciting too, is it's a huge market. I mean, you know, we don't like to think about you know, death in that way, but we're all going to go through it. So, you know, as an investor, from an investor perspective, when you start looking at the TAM, which is the total addressable market, it's, it's everyone right in, in Canada. And, and do you guys have plans to sort of grow, um, beyond, beyond Canada and into North America or, or elsewhere? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's some amazing companies in the U S like trust and will that we're partnered with, Uh, And so for us, we're really focused on Canada for the time being. Mm -hmm. We're, as you mentioned, there's millions of Canadians who don't have a will. There's millions of Canadians who have a will, but it's out of date because they've gone through life changes and it's been sitting in a dresser drawer Mm -hmm. collecting dust for 20 years. And then, as I mentioned earlier, our goal isn't just to to do wills. It's it's to really kind of tackle these other end of life planning challenges Uh, And to eventually branch out into the post-death process. So helping families like Kevin's actually wrap up someone's life and go through the logistical aspects of government forms and probate and all of those types of things. So we think there's more than enough opportunity in Canada for the the foreseeable future. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of things that you can do surrounding just the will, as you've mentioned. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you a lot, lots to still do here. I do actually want to touch a little bit on dragon's den because that's always exciting. And, and for any of our American listeners or, uh, global listeners, dragon's den is similar to shark's tank, um, or shark shark's tank. Yeah. In, in the States. And so, um, you know, Aaron and her husband, Kevin went on, they secured an investment that was actually bigger than what they asked for from one of our most prominent Canadian investors. I actually, this is the second, 
uh, Dragon's Den recipient that I've had on my show. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, maybe um, I'll have a few more in the future too, but tell us what that process was like and preparing for it. And, you know, how has the funding that you've received, they received $750,000, you know, how has that been helping your business to grow? Yeah. So the process was, I mean, this is during COVID. So the process was very virtual. So we just applied on the website, you know, filled out the form. Uh, we got an audition, which was over Zoom. And then we got the news about six weeks later that we had been selected to, to pitch live. So I am an over-preparer. I am someone who would, you know, I, I've watched enough Dragon's End to know that if you don't know your stuff, and you don't have the answers to their key questions, you're going to get roasted. Yeah. And I was convinced we were not going to be those people. So I knew my numbers inside out. We created a list of probably 30 questions that were typically asked on that show or that we knew we typically get asked. And we practiced our answers and knew who would an answer each one. And then, of course, we, we worked with a producer on our pitch, you know, the pitch that you do when you walk in. And we practiced that dozens of times. You know, we'd be walking... Uh, around Wellington. We live in Prince Edward County. We'd be walking around town just practicing while we were yeah. out for a walk or pitching to our friends and family at, you know, Easter dinner. And so when we walked in, we were not super nervous because we were super prepared and we were confident. The only thing I was nervous about was the, the dragons were not our target audience, right? If you're a dragon and you yeah. have this pretty complex financial situation, chances are you are going to work with a professional. So I was happy that they seemed to really get that, that this was for the average Canadian. It wasn't a product for them. And they were very positive about the, the product, which is awesome. Uh, and yeah. after getting the deal from Michelle, so we, the 750,000 was from Michelle and a variety of, of other investors. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we've, I mean, we've raised, I think about 2.5 million to date in, in every type of funding you can imagine from friends and family to angel investors, to venture capital, to, uh, you know, strategic corporate. So uh, fundraising is a whole other beast that we probably could spend another hour talking about, yeah. but um, but yeah, it's really helped us to just, you know, hire key people. We're a team of about 20 people now uh, spread across Canada and to make some key investment in things like uh, launching a TV commercial, which, uh, which we did mm. last year. Very, very exciting. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people, when they think about funding, um, and raising capital, it can be a little bit scary, right? Putting yourselves out there, pitching to investors, getting a lot of rejection, you know, just, I know we could do a whole episode on this, but just overall, what, what's your advice, you know, for those that are looking to raise capital and what are some of the th things that you kind of learned along the way as, you know, best practices? I mean, I think something I wish I did earlier was read the book Venture Deals by Brad Feld. It's a, a guide to fundraising and it, it really helps you to understand the difference between angel investors, venture capitalists, mm -hmm. crowdfunding, all, and also the different types of fundraising from convertible debt uh, to equity financing and convertible uh, or venture debt. So that was really helpful for me to read prior to doing our first round with a venture capitalist because it just taught me how to read a term sheet. It taught me more about the mechanics of venture capital firms. So I highly recommend that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would uh, recommend is really understanding your capitalization table. So this idea that, you know, when you start a business, you have a hundred percent of it. And as people buy in to your business and invest in it, you're giving them a piece of the pie and your capitalization table is a reflection of that. It shows mm -hmm. the ownership and how many shares people have at any given time. And as you give up more, more of your company, your share obviously goes down. The average founder only owns 7% of their company when they exit or IPO. So really understanding how you will be diluted when you take on more funding and strategically kind of planning that out over time to make sure you hold on to as much of your company as possible. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good point to make because it sounds very sexy to go out and say, oh, I raised X millions of dollars at this valuation. But on the flip side of that, you've given up something, right? And so it's really important to think about, you know, what are you, what is the capital you're raising for going to achieve? Because sometimes, you know, people could easily, depending on, and on the market they're in and the product they're building could bootstrap, right? Uh, along a lot further than they realize. 
Um, and maybe you don't always need to raise capital. I, I think it's really important what you should just shared as well, because knowing what type of capital you need and when, you know, and at what size you're at and what you're going to use it for, like all of that's so important. And then, you know, also think about who, who is going to be on that cap table? Like, do they bring more than just money to you? Right. Do, do they bring a strategic, um, focus that you need for your business and can they help open doors and will they be, you know, good, good, bring good advice, whatever it is that they're bringing beyond just the, the dollars is really important too. So thanks for sharing that. Um, all right. So how you, you said that, you know, some of this capital has been used to build your team, you know, how big is your team now? And how has it been managing a team? Because you really grew your company during the, the, co the era of, the pandemic, uh, for the most part. Right. So how has that, how has that been for you guys? Yeah. I mean, like most business owners, I think it was a shift. So we were very much an in-office culture. We had an office in downtown Toronto and signed a lease on February 1st, 2020, which oh was just, you know, the, the best timing. So we got to enjoy that office for about six weeks until the yeah. world shut down. And, you know, you kind of aspire to these things when you're founding a company. One of them is raising funding to your point. Should we be celebrating funding? I don't know. It's giving up a piece of your company. But another one is having an office, right? It was a big milestone for Kevin specifically to go from working at a cement plant and working in trades to having an office for the company that he founded. Um, and so we really envisioned Willful having this in-person culture. And then through the pandemic, it just became clear a, we were hiring folks outside of Toronto. And so even when we were in the office, you're on Zoom calls. And B, when we did open the office back up, nobody went in. Everyone really mm. seemed to love remote work. And we were not less productive. You know, the company thrived through COVID. Uh, so we went fully remote in, in early 2022. Uh, we now do uh, two in-person company-wide retreats every year just to bring everyone together with, and have that in-person bonding, which is super important. Uh, and we've implemented policies like the ability to work from anywhere. You know, I went to Europe for six weeks this summer and worked from there. Uh, we have a core hours policy. So people work noon to 4 p.m. together and Eastern time. And then outside of that, really work depending on their own time zone and own schedule. So we've really tried to shift towards a culture of accountability, flexibility, and autonomy. And I think that's really helped us to navigate this new world. And as a new mom myself, it's also been great for me to have more flexibility. You know, I came back after four months and I'm still breastfeeding. And so the ability to pop out and see my daughter and, you know, work around doctor's appointments and, uh, and, and that has, it's just been so helpful. I cannot imagine dragging my butt to an office and pumping breast milk in a bathroom stall. So I have huge respect for all of the women who have done that, including our parents. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm very, this new remote work culture to me is also so conducive to being, uh, to having a family. Yeah. And I, what I love is that it's, it's very empowering, right? The way that you've enabled your employees to now work really helps them have kind of authority over their, their day while still being accountable and there for certain times in the day. But like you said, it hasn't really affected the productivity, which I think is kind of a, a misnomer that is, you know, people feel like you need to be in the office to be productive. And clearly you guys are showing that you're not, but what I love is you guys have taken a little bit of everything, the hybrid, the retreats that people, you know, the corporate retreat retreats, the flexibility, the work from anywhere, um, the 12 to four, like you've really crafted something that works for you guys, but also works for your team, which really is ultimately working for each individual. Right. And I think that is such an amazing approach. A lot of companies can probably learn from you guys about how to manage, you know, a team in today's environment, right. And still retain your top talent and still be highly, highly productive. So thanks for sharing that. And, you know, interestingly, I did actually, you know, I do follow you on, on Instagram or Insta friends. And, um, I saw your trip around Europe, around Italy, this, this past summer. And I was just like, wow, how is she managing a business? She's got a young, you know, baby in tow. And it just looked effortless. I'm sure it wasn't, but you made it look very, very like that doable. Right. And, 
I, I, I appreciated you sharing kind of that side of your life that you were still taking meetings while you were traveling. You know, how did that whole experience really help to strengthen sort of the relationship, even with, you know, your, your husband, who's your co-founder, you know, you're growing and scaling this business, you're raising a young uh, baby, Emmy, uh, you know, how, how was that experience for you guys to be able to do that and still, you know, have a life and, you know, take a vacation and, and do all of that. Yeah. Well, I think we're a little unique in that, you know, I'm the CEO. And so I came back after four months um, Kevin heads up a lot of our special projects at Willful. So it was easier for him to take parental leave. So he's actually been on parental leave since I went back. Um, and so it's been amazing to have him in our home. You know, I didn't have to necessarily send her to daycare really young because it's a expensive and be very difficult to find in Prince Edward County, like in most places. So that's, I've been really grateful that I have a husband who understood that it made more sense for him to be on parental leave versus me. Uh, and I also love that I can still talk to him about everything at Willful. He comes to our planning meetings and our retreats. And so he's still very integrated into the business, just not day to day. And I think for me, you know, I want to set an example for folks who work for me and for other female founders that, or any founder, that you can have a family. And anyone who makes you feel like you have to choose between building a startup and starting a family is wrong. You know, Joanna Griffiths from mm-hmm. Nixware famously raised uh, her, her a huge round of capital while she was eight months pregnant and actively didn't take any money from people who asked her about that or who signaled that it was a problem for them. And it was a great reminder that, you know, we should, we shouldn't put our, our lives on hold for our business. And for us, we've always looked at it as our daughter is going to be integrated into what we do. That means she's going to be in the background of zoom calls. Sometimes she's going to be sitting at our quarterly planning meetings sometimes because we couldn't get a babysitter and that's okay. Uh, you know, I want to be open about that part of my life because it's a huge part of who I am. And Europe was kind of the same thing. I'm not going to lie to you for, it was terrifying. I was like, I almost canceled so many times because I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? Going abroad with an eight month old and we shifted locations like five or six times. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy every moment. I definitely did a lot of calls from hotel bathrooms and had to be working at 9 PM at night because of Eastern time when my husband wanted to be going out for dinner. So Um, it wasn't perfect, but I'm so glad that we did it. And everyone in Europe brings their babies everywhere. It was such a good reminder Mm -hmm. that, you know, you having a baby just means integrating them into your lives. Also for any parents listening, six to nine months is like the perfect time to go with a baby because they can't move yet really, or they are not great crawlers. Now she's one. And oh my God, we look at each other every day. And we're like, thank God that we went to Europe when she was not a menace like she is now because she's into everything. So, um, so yeah, probably everything looks perfect on social media. It was definitely a challenge, but I'm so glad that we did it. Yeah. And, and you did share that, you know, it's not always easy and always glamorous, but Emmy's very cute. So if she popped up in the background of a zoom right now, I would be very happy to see her little (laughs) face. Um, but no, I think this is so, so important and also not, just realizing that, you know, in, in a lot of situations, there's two parents, you know, that, you know, mom and dad, or, you know, two partners in the relationship often. And to just kind of think that, oh, it's the response, you know, to ask that question in an investor call of just the woman, right. When, you know, they don't know your circumstances at home of who else is there to help with the kids. And like, I just think that, um, that world is changing and people need to start to realize that we can do it all right. Like we, and you you're going to do it in the way that works for you. You wouldn't have chosen to be the CEO of a startup and start a company if you didn't know what was in store for you. Right. Um, and so thank you so much for being such a good example and being vocal and sharing that, you know, for anyone who follows Erin, she is, she does share on LinkedIn on, and on Instagram and is really transparent about her life and what it's been like to build a company with a young daughter and with her partner. So, you know, I, I really do admire you for, you know, bringing your whole self to, to your, to your business and, and showing that it's possible because there's a lot of examples out there of the opposite, you know, or just not even, you know, bringing that kind of transparency to it. So uh, we need more leaders like you to, to, to do that. So thank you for that. 
Well, I appreciate it. And I would say, I don't believe that old saying you can do it all. I think you can do it all. You just can't do it all at once. Right. So I'm, I'm very open about, you know, I am someone who prioritizes work time with my family, working out time with my friends. Um, I am not a cook. I do not cook. I don't enjoy it. Um, and I, I, we have a cleaning lady who helps us an amazing woman in, in Prince Edward County. So I think it's really important to highlight too. I'm intentional about where I want to spend my time and what I want to be great at. And I outsource a lot of stuff. And I also get a lot of help from, from my partner and I'm honest about when I need that help. So, uh, I, I definitely cannot do it all myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important to, to say that, you know, it's those of us that see that, Oh, someone's doing it all. There's a lot of support often going on in the background, but not everyone's talking about that support. Right. So you can do it all in the sense of you can have, you can chase your dream and have a kid, but just know where you're going to need that support and, and don't feel afraid to have it or ask for it or need it because, no one, no, if anyone's showing you, like you said that they're doing it all, they're not showing you everything, right? Like, um, so I appreciate you, you know, kind of giving us that distinction there. Um, all right. So, you know, Willful's growing, we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of your growth plans, but where do you really see, you know, yourself and the company in five years from now, or even 10 years from now? Yeah, it's such a tough question, right? I mean, I think the hardest question anyone can answer is where do you see yourself in 10 years? Because so much can change, right? And often I'm someone who always has the next 12 months just totally down and five, 10 years from now, I don't know. And what I do know is I'm very passionate about Willful and the mission that we're on and I will continue to do it for as long as I can. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds for the company, but Kevin and I are very passionate about the the mission. Uh, and regardless of what I'm doing in five, 10, 20 years, I've learned that I don't want to be an employee. I love working for myself. I love the autonomy. And yes, it's a whole lot more stress. Yes, it means taking a four month mat leave instead of a year. Yes, it means, you know, thinking about things on on weekends and evenings when other folks are watching Netflix. But um, you know, I think we, we create good boundaries for ourselves. And so I, I will definitely be an entrepreneur. I don't know what that will be. Maybe I'll be the owner of a coffee shop in Prince Edward County. Maybe I'll have another tech business, but whatever it is, I'll be working for myself. And one of my main goals in life is to, uh, invest in other underrepresented founders. So whether that's someone like Kev, who didn't have a background in business or tech, or whether that's female founders or uh, BIPOC founders, I really want to kind of pay it forward. Uh, obviously, not in a position now to do that, uh, still making founder salaries at Willful, but uh, that would be my main goal is if I do find any sort of success in entrepreneurship, to pay it forward to invest in the next generation. Well, I love that. I mean, you know, I can already see that happening for you and, you know, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So it's hard to go backwards. I know the feeling I, you know, the idea of working for someone again is just, you know, not, not even on my radar, but I know whatever business you guys do decide to do, or you decide to do, I'm sure we'll, you know, always be successful, but still so much runway with willful. And I'm excited to sort of see what, what that brings for you guys as well. Um, and speaking with that, do you see that, you know, with you guys coming, coming on the scene, you know, what changes are really happening in your industry and how do you feel like willful is sort of preparing for what might be changing in your industry in the future? Yeah, there's a lot of change. Uh, thankfully. I mean, I talked about the process of creating a will. It's a very paper-based process. And when COVID hit, it was very difficult for people to print their wills when they didn't have printers at home and to get together with witnesses to physically witness the document and sign them. Uh, So we've seen some advancements in British Columbia. They uh, passed legislation allowing you to sign and store your will online. So I'm hopeful that the rest of Canada will follow suit. And in a few years, you'll be able to sign, witness and store a will and power of attorney documents fully online. Okay. Uh, in BC, we've partnered with DocuSign to help with virtual executions. So we're uh, hoping to kind of be the leader in that front and to really um, spearhead that fully digital process. But a lot of it relies on lawmakers and mm-hmm. you know they can be 
uh, antiquated. They can uh, listen to a lot of industry feedback, which is saying, why would you change? Let's stay the same. Uh, so my hope is that enough consumers are vocal about the process and how much they want to be able to do yeah. it digitally that eventually lawmakers have to listen. And it just makes sense, right? Like this is a document that is going to be around for a very long time, right? To have it be paper-based just almost seems ridiculous in some ways in my mind, right? Like it's almost safer and secure and easier to maintain and, and, um, update and all of these things if it's if it is fully online. So that just makes sense. And hopefully, you know, the other provinces start to catch up soon enough. Uh, but I'm I'm sure with you guys leading the charge, you know, that's that's on our horizon. Um so as as we round out the episode, I'd love to ask you, you know, if you were to go back and start your entrepreneurial journey again, is there anything that you would do differently or you know, anything you would do exactly the same? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, I'm one of those people who believes everything you in, that happened got you to this place. So, you know, of course there's things I would do differently. I would educate myself on cap tables. I would read all of the investment resources and really understand more about the mechanics of fundraising. Um, but there's a lot that I think we did right, you know, in terms of being resourceful, you know, finding ways to partner with lawyers and, um, focusing on team culture and on making willful a place that feels good to work. And that isn't about working a hundred hour weeks and, and really burning people out. Uh, I'm proud of the, the culture that we've built and I'm proud of the boundaries I've put in place. There's this massive hustle culture in startups where people glorify working until two in the morning, sleeping five hours a night, getting up at 4am. Uh, and I just think it's unsustainable and dangerous. And so I, you know, I'm a hard worker, but I also uh, do not glorify that culture. And I think it's ridiculous. So, uh, so yeah, I'm proud of that. And I, I would definitely recommend to any other entrepreneur who's starting a business to be intentional about how your life and your business uh, can coexist, right? You can be consumed by your business. You can work every evening and every weekend uh, but I always think, I mean, willful, we talk about death a lot. We talk about, um, yeah. you know, just because of the nature of what we do. And I always ask myself when I'm 75, looking back, will I be glad that I missed this party or this thing because I had to work? Does this thing really need to be done today or can it be done tomorrow? And oftentimes, you know, yesterday, for example, I played outside with my daughter and went to a pumpkin patch and had lunch with friends. And yeah, I did a bit of email and caught up, but um, that's what I'll remember, not sitting mm -hmm. at my, my desk mm -hmm. and working on a Sunday and missing out on family time. So um, that's what I would probably actually do a little bit differently. Even earlier in my career when I wasn't an entrepreneur was to be more clear about setting boundaries and to ask myself, is this going to matter in 30 years? <laughs> yeah. And, and are you really living to work or working to live? Right. And I think so many of us forget that, or we say, once I've done this, then I'll live my life. Or once I've, you know, you know, sold my company, then I'll have more free time. And, you know, those days never come. Right. And in the process you're missing out. Right. And like, I think we, we all just forget that we just want to, you know, enjoy life along the way sometimes too. It's not just this destination thinking, but the idea of the journey. And I can certainly see that, you know, you're, you're doing that by example, but doing it for yourself and empowering your employees to do the same. And also just setting a really good example for, you know, your family, for your daughter as well, that you're there, that you're present, but that you can also, run this big company, right? Like that's going to be such a great example for her. So thank you for I sharing so. that. Yeah, no, it will. Um, do you have any advice for any of our listeners who might be considering, you know, their own entrepreneur? I can never say this word. We need another word for entrepreneurial, <laughs> even though we're both one. Uh, but yeah, anyone who's considering, considering an entrepreneurial journey, do you have any advice for them? I mean, I think the biggest advice I would have is to make sure that you do market research with people who are not your friends and family mm -hmm. and ensure that you're solving a problem that people will pay for. You know, when in the early days of Willful, it was actually called Final Blueprint, and it was collecting all of the information outside of a will and paying an, an annual fee to store that. 
And everyone told Kev it was such a great idea, but when the rubber hit the road and it launched, I think he, he, my mom and his mom are the only paying customers to date, right? And wow. out of that came the insight that people needed to do their wills and wanted an online solution. So we pivoted to focus on that. But the key insight that came out of that was uh, we weren't solving a real problem. It was a nice to have, it was a, a vitamin and we needed to create that painkiller, that must have. And if we had done larger market research with people that weren't in our inner circle, I think we would have found that. So when I start my next business, I will really make sure that I've done market research to understand, um, you know, do people want this? Will people pay for it? Is it solving a problem? And is it a painkiller, not a vitamin? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I always say like fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Right. Because when you're just like, this is the way I'm going to do it. And this is how we're going to solve for it. it. It may not be the best solution, but when you really understand the problem, well, right. It helps you to come up with the solution that actually works for, you know, your target market and those end users. And, and you really do discover that in the market research phase. So thanks for sharing that. Um, all right. So this is the question that I love asking all of my guests more so just so I can learn, uh, what you're listening to, but yeah. What are you listening to these days? Is there a good book or podcast that you can, you can recommend to us? Yeah. Well, my, right now I'm reading the novel lessons in chemistry, uh, right. which is I'm a, I'm a big novel reader. I don't read a lot of business books. I don't yeah. love them. Uh, so lessons in chemistry is, is one that I'm really loving right now. And then what am I listening to? Well, I love podcasts. Uh, one that I've gotten into recently is called killed and it's about, uh, big stories in the news that were killed by publications and the story behind why they were killed and how they eventually came out. So that's a big one for me. And I I do love, yeah, it's a really cool one. And to be honest, I mean, I love reading, um, you know, nonfiction business books like shoe dog, you know, Phil Knight's from Nike, his memoir, but a lot of times reading and podcasts to me are my escapism. There are mm-hmm. places that I go to, uh, to do something that isn't work related. And so a lot of my recommendations have nothing to do with business or entrepreneurship, yeah, just more, enter- more entertainment for you. Yeah. And also that, that one killed sounds like, you know, the inner journalist in you that, you know, yes, probably is into that, right. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, lastly, how can our listeners engage with you online? And we'll just be sure to add that into our show notes. For sure. Well, as you mentioned, Farah, I'm very open on yeah. social media. I'm Aaron Burry at Aaron Burry on every social platform. Uh, and then if you're interested in connecting with Willful, it's at Willful Wills uh, on every platform or our website is Willful, W-I-L-L-F-U-L.co. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Erin. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you. I can't wait to just keep watching your journey uh, from afar. And I know you're going to do amazing things. So thank you again for being here. Thanks again for having me, Far. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling, and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I will see you next week.